So what then would be the vision of Banner Island Christian Fellowship? Sherry, I don't know if those are back there, but if you put one of that up. We have vision. And underneath vision is mission. Mission is sort of how do we carry out what our vision is. Vision is the overarching goal. Mission is sort of some X's and O's of how we achieve vision. And then if we peel another layer of the onion back, we get to values. Values. Values is the core. It's the DNA. Values are what drive our mission, which helps us to achieve our vision. At Banner Christian Fellowship, we value lots of things. You can skip on. Hold right there for a quick second. So our vision. So as a community, we will focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ and we will grow in our faith. That's what we want to do as a church. With the, cap, with the small C, as part of the church, big C. Go on to the next one. A mission. I'm not going to read through all of that, but these are... This is on our website, by the way. Have you ever been to our church website? We have one. You can go there and you can read this for yourself. But through fellowship, that's part of our name, Banner Christian Fellowship, there's all these ways that we bring glory to God that help us to realize what our vision is. And then let's peel back another layer of the onion in the next one. The next slide. Wait for it. Okay, just turn it off, Sherry. Thank you. We get to the DNA. We get to the nitty-gritty. We get to values. So what do we value as a church? What, what helps us realize all of these big, lofty words that... You guys are killing me, man. Technical proficiency is a value. Too soon? Too soon? Hospitality, community, evangelism, discipleship, and prayer. Did I leave anyone out? Thank you, Sherry. It's not Sherry's fault. It's mine. So I'm, I am, uh, I'm the one to blame there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Madison read it just a second ago. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober minds that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I got a little nervous this week as it suddenly hit me. Are we really going to start a series, a sermon series, with a sermon on hospitality? Don't get me wrong, hospitality is a great thing. It's something we value. But if we think about hospitality just as throwing luncheons and making sure that the fork goes on the left and the knife and the spoon go on the right, it seems like sort of a lightweight subject 
compared to so many other things in Scripture. And then, if I think about it, it, and hospitality becomes a little convicting. And then, if I look even further in, it, I start questioning myself, am I offering hospitality? So let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. We take a closer look at this passage in 1 Peter and realize that Peter, that for Peter to include it in this section shows that hospitality is not a lightweight subject matter to Peter at all. First of all, it's remember that he's writing to a group of believers that are experiencing suffering. He's writing to a, a group of believers that are undergoing severe persecution. So right there, you'd think that there's maybe a few more important things to worry about than having people over for dinner. But then we, we see the serious subject matter that literally surrounds Peter's exhortation on hospitality, beginning with verse 7. The end of all things as at hand. That's a heavy statement. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Verse 7. The end of all things at hand. It's a, another vivid reminder to us that Jesus instructed us not to set dates. Period. But, oh, I love a calendar, don't you? <laughs> I love it. Sometimes I'm so weird, I'll go back and put things on my calendar that have already happened. <laughs> so I know where I was when. Just saying. The end of all things is at hand. It's, it's a vivid reminder that Jesus is instructing us not to set dates. Jesus is coming back. And if the end of all things was at hand in Peter's day, how much more are they at hand now? Believers shouldn't set dates. We should be watching and waiting, talking about our Lord's return. We don't have to be on the planning committee, just the welcoming committee. So Peter says the end of things is at hand. Then he urges them to, above all, love one another earnestly, verse 8. And then in verse 10, he calls them to use the gifts that they have to serve each other as a way of stewarding God's grace to them and to glorifying God through Jesus Christ. So in this paragraph, you have these, these major, mega-important statements. And right here in the middle of this, mega-important theological statements, these doctrinal statements that we hold true to the church, that Jesus is coming back, and to be ready for it, in the middle of that, Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As a topic, hospitality, you see, can in fact run with the big boys when we see it through a biblical lens. When we see it through a biblical lens, we see that hospitality is not some lightweight, throwaway topic at all. But it is incredibly important. It is part of the DNA. It is part of the fabric, as a matter of fact, at Banner Christian Fellowship. And it is necessary for building community and building the community of faith.
So first of all, hospitality is a practical expression of loving one another. You see, verse 8 and verse 9 flow together. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Then it flows out, show hospitality one another without grumbling. You see, hospitality is a practical expression of loving one another. The word love here is agape, and it and it's emphasizes the action over feeling. That's important. When Peter says love covers a multitude of sins, he's quoting Proverbs 10, 12, verbatim. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. You see, hatred stirs up strife, but love, well, love covers all offenses. He's not saying, nor is Proverbs 10, 12 saying, that sin should be covered up in the way that we try to cover up scandals or in the way that we try to cover up mistakes. It doesn't say love covers up sin. It says love covers over sin. There's a big difference. It's not just semantics. Proverbs is contrasting an environment where where gasoline is thrown on problems in order to fan small flames into raging fires. Hatred stirs up strife. It's an environment that seeks, but with, with an environment that seeks to love and to care for people by overlooking minor infractions and by forgiving more serious sins, love covers. Wherever there are people, there are going to be problems and offenses. I think the problem that I often have is that I am offended when really I'm just choosing to take an offense. There's a difference. Am I really offended or am I choosing to take an offense when none was meant? But because I'm hypersensitive, because of whatever's happening within my interior life and lack of taking care of it, it comes out as venom. And how dare so and so and so and so. Love says I want to diffuse this thing, not detonate it. I'm going to throw water instead of gasoline. One practical action is that this kind of love takes is hospitality. Opening our homes to others, inviting them into our lives, sharing our food, our time, building relationships, spending time together. Hospitality. But it's not just opening our homes, it's, it's opening our hearts as well. And there's the real meat of this. Notice that Peter says, don't just do it. He says, and this is where it's like a kick in the shins. Do it without grumbling. Do it happily. Ouch. You see, there's a cost. There's an inconvenience. There's a sacrifice. But do it, hospitality that is, joyfully. Don't complain about it. Do it without grumbling. Have you ever had someone offer you something, but you knew they didn't really want you to take it? It's kind of like that last piece of pie at the table when we do this song and dance about, no, really, you take it, no, you take it. I like the person that goes, okay, boom. <laughs> Snooze, you lose. <laughs> or you, you offer food, but you knew it was begrudgingly because you kind of feel obligated. 
Proverbs 23, 6-8 gives incredible insight into this. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For, if, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you. But his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Don't eat the stingy person's bread. They may say eat, but they're calculating how much you take and, and, and resent every bite, kind of watching. <laughs> how we give, you see, is as important as that we give. How we do it. A generous person doesn't just give a lot, they give joyfully. Actually, they may not have a lot to give, but what they give, they do so gladly. That's hospitality. A hospitable person doesn't just open up their home, they open up their hearts. They welcome you. Secondly, hospitality is an expression of our love for Jesus. First of all, hospitality is a practical expression of loving each other. And secondly, it's an expression of how we love Jesus. The topic of hospitality is, is not a lightweight topic to a holy God, in part because hospitality towards others is an expression of how we love him, because we are loving his created, his beings. And to fully grasp biblical hospitality, we need to know that it is, has to extend beyond our family and, and close friends. Having close friends and family over all the time is great. It's wonderful. But biblically speaking, it's not enough. There's a deeper component to it. The Greek word for hospitality actually means love of strangers. People you don't know. Many times... In the scripture, the, the, the saints open their home to people that they don't know. Abraham welcomed three strangers into his home, insisting on preparing a nice meal for them before they continued on their way. It turns out it was the Lord and two angels. Remember this? And they just decided to share two important things with Abraham. One is that Sarah would conceive and they would have a, a child by, by that time next year. And the second thing was that they were sent on a mission of judgment and Abraham interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah. These revelations came to Abraham because he was hospitable to three strangers. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 reminds us that, of this when it urges us to do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It doesn't mean that every stranger you invite over is going to turn out to be an angel. Some could be. People have encountered God's direction and provision by being hospitable. Romans 12, 13 tells us to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Jesus taught us to invite people over who have nothing to give in return. When you give a luncheon or a dinner... Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, 
they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. For you will be paid at the resurrection of the righteous. Luke 14. Jesus tells us that hospitality will be a criteria. It's part of, it's part of the judgment. It's that thing we don't like to talk about. Judgment day. To the sheep on his right, he will say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's Matthew 25, 35, verse 40. But to the goats on his left, he will say, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Matthew 25, 43 and 45. You see, what we see from Scripture is that hospitality is, in fact, very, very dear to the heart of God. Big things come from and out of hospitality, including a, a tangible evidence of where we stand with and in the Lord. The other thing we see is that hospitality deals with the, the selfishness of our hearts. It's good to have people we love over to our homes. That's called fellowship. Fellowship. But if we only open our homes and our hearts to people we love to be around, then we're giving what we know we're going to get back in return. Our reward is that we enjoy having them over. It's no burden. It's desirable. But what about the person who has nothing to give back? The person we wouldn't normally hang with. Non-believers. I don't know any. That's a problem. The one with no social status to impart to us. The Lord says, don't forget to show hospitality to them. Why? Why is it so important to God and why does it have such implications for our souls? Because biblical hospitality not only builds community, it reflects the heart of God and the heart of Jesus Christ. In the gospel, God has extended his eternal hospitality to us. You see, when I was nothing, when I was lost, I was invited to come to a table and eat. Hospitality is the heart of God. Welcoming us, extending a hand to be a part of the family of God at his tables, at his table. Come home. Hospitality says, you're welcome. His home becomes our home. John Piper says this, therefore, when we practice hospitality, here's what happens. We experience the refreshing joy of becoming conduits of God's hospitality rather than being self-decaying cul-de-sacs. The joy of receiving God's hospitality decays and dies if it doesn't flourish in our own hospitality to others. 
By being a conduit instead of a cul-de-sac, we bring glory to God by mirroring his hospitality to us through Christ and to others. And this brings up an important principle we see in the scripture and in our lives. When we give, instead of having less, we actually have more. God's great economy. And when we don't give, instead of having more, we have less. We lose it. Cul-de-sac lives dry up. You just go round and round in circles. But a conduit life Keep having more to give. It's a biblical principle. It's hospitality. If it's uncomfortable for us to do it, the answer isn't to do it less. The answer is to do it more. And over time, it will get easier. So, hospitality. I've observed some folks, several of you, several folks in our community. I've observed some folks that aren't believers. And I've been thinking about practical thoughts on hospitality. Okay, so by now, if you haven't had 10 strangers over for dinner this past week, you you might be questioning your salvation. That's not the point. (laughs) Don't beat yourself up. Our lives are busy. Our schedules are tight. And for some of us, we might feel like there's barely enough gas in the tank for what's going on, much less trying to to add some strangers in the mix. And for those who really struggle with this, we, we, we might feel tempted to feel condemned, and there's no condemnation in Christ. Period. But let's embrace the Lord's kindness kindness to convict us and and of this important area this part of our dna this fabric of this church and and some practical thoughts of hospitality and and remember it's 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 a way of getting better at practicing hospitality practicing hospitality is a good phrase i don't think we ever perfect it so writing down a couple of things that i've noticed across the board with people who seem to do hospitality well there's some element, first of all, of planning. There's a plan. I've seen it over and over again how easily it is for hospitality to be crowded out if we don't plan for it. So we figure out what you have grace for and what your schedule allows. And whatever it is, that's what it is, and that's okay. Maybe you feel like you can only schedule to have people over once every other month. Then great. Do it. Make it happen. Plan it. Secondly, people that seem to pull off hospitality well, overall, keep it simple. It's not overly complicated. So don't worry about whether your home is perfect or stressed about what you serve. The focus of hospitality is people, not the portion. It's the conversation around the table, not what's on it to eat. And thirdly, Give a gracious welcome. It's the easiest part. It doesn't cost anything or 
take any extra time, but it makes a difference. Warmly welcome people. When they come, they walk through your door. They feel like they're home. As we get to know and spend time with one another, we will actually grow all the richer for it. Strangers become friends. See, we were all strangers at one point. Your best friend was a stranger at one point. But the Lord enriches our lives with new friends and builds community through hospitality. It's a way that we can reflect the heart of God who provides a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.